application up front because I believe that many of us are right there right now. That God's promises for our lives are one thing and we're really close to it, but we're kind of like, look, this is good for me. It's good for livestock. I got livestock. This suits my personality or I've always ever wanted to be here. And so God, I'm good. But you know deep down that God's desire for you, God's gift to you is actually something more. God has an incredible plan for each of our lives. This plan has the potential to change numerous lives and to bless us beyond measure. However, this plan might take us away from what's comfortable and definitely requires a great deal of trust. Pastor Daniel today warns us that on our journey with God, we might be tempted to stop when we feel we've reached a comfortable place. God is so much waiting for us. We'll find it if we keep going. Now here's Pastor Daniel with part one of his message, Living on the East Side. Let's all open up in our Bibles to the book of Numbers, chapter 32. As we continue our study here through the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 32, in this, what is our third and final series in the book of Numbers that we're calling Preparation. So we're winding down the book of Numbers. Now, I keep reminding everybody in this study of the context of where we are. As I've said many times, if you take a text out of its context, what do you have left? A con. You like that, right? Context. You take a text out of its context, and what do you have left? You have a con. And so the problem with the Bible, of course, is that people have used it to prove and disprove pretty much everything since we've been able to memorize it. And so it's always important to be able to understand God's Word in context. And really, in this book of Numbers, in chapter 32, where we are, if you don't get this in context, you pull it out of context, you're like, what in the world is going on? And so you have to realize that right now, the children of Israel are on the precipice of the promised land. God delivered them from Egypt, right? And he was delivering them into the promised land. And that's the way the Lord works. He doesn't just deliver us from something. He delivers us from something so that he can deliver us into something new, right? It's not just, I just want to get you out of this. He's like, I want to get you out of this, and I want to bring you into something more glorious. And God had already promised to Abraham that he was going to make him a great nation, that he was going to bless his people with the land, and he was going to be their God, right? And so now the children of Israel are literally on the border of the promised land. And we have the book of Numbers, then we have the entire book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is actually, Moses is like, okay, before I go home to be with the Lord, I'm going to tell you everything I've already told you again. That's what he does. And you have to realize that for, at this point, In the book of Numbers, the entire generation who left Egypt has perished except for Moses, who's about to die, and then Joshua and Caleb, who are going to be allowed to go in the promised land. So there's a brand new generation of adults. And so Moses is like, look, before you go in, I'm going to tell you the whole law again, because I told it to your parents, and they didn't obey it, and they're not here. And so now I want to make sure that you understand it. But before this happens, we have this 
unique situation that goes on in Numbers chapter 32. I've entitled this message, Living on the East Side. And when I read it, you'll be like, oh, I get why he's calling that now. And I was really thinking of Cheech and Chong's Born in East LA. You remember that song? Some of you are like, who's Cheech and Chong? Don't worry about it. Don't Google it. Anyway, you know what I mean? But I, I was thinking about the idea of living on the East Side. I'm like, yeah, that kind of sounds like that. So anyway, sorry. Chapter 32, verse 1. Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben came and spoke to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Eliezer, Shebam, Nebo, and Baon, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. Therefore, they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. Now, really what's going on here is that, remember, they're on the precipice of the promised land. They're on the east side of the Jordan River. And right over the Jordan River is Jericho, which when, by the time we get to the book of Joshua is going to be the first city that they encounter and that they defeat. And the tribes here of Reuben and the tribe of Gad. And by the end of the chapter, we're going to find out the half tribe of Manasseh. So half of the tribe of Manasseh as well. They see this land because they just defeated the Midianites. And they're like, this is a good land. This is a land for livestock. And guess what? We got livestock. So, hey, can we stay on the east side of the Jordan? You notice that very last sentence in verse 5 says this. Do not take us over the Jordan. So they're saying, we want to live on the east side of the Jordan, right? Now, what we're going to find is that this request has all sorts of issues involved with it, right? And Moses is going to address some of those issues. But the primary issue, and I want to really bring this out up front, is that God's promise of the land actually is on the west side of the Jordan. So really what they're saying is we're right, we're almost where God wants us, but we want to stay here. Now, I have to make this application up front because I believe that many of us are right there right now. That God's promises for our lives are one thing and we're really close to it, but we're kind of like, look, this is good for me. It's good for livestock. I got livestock. This suits my personality or I've always ever wanted to be here. And so God, I'm good. But you know deep down that God's desire for you, God's gift to you is actually something more. This is what you call temptation. And this is not temptation for total rebellion. This is, I'm not quite what God wants to be doing. I'm not quite where I'm supposed to be, but I kind of like being there. I believe a lot of us are right there right now. That you, it's not that you're not believing in Jesus because you are. It's not that you're not serving the Lord. You are but you're also not stepping all the way into what God wants for you. I know I've experienced that in my own life, where God wants something and you're like, well, I, I kind of like where I am and this suits me. And the tribe of Reuben, 
the tribe of Gad, and we'll find out later also the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're content where they are, but they're actually not in God's promised land. You have to ask yourself if this is you. Are you where you're comfortable, but not where God wants you to be? You know that God's promised land, God's best for you, the thing that God created you for, because literally God created the children of Israel to be a people after his own name. He's going to be their God. They're going to be his people, and he's going to give them a dwelling place, a land to live in. One commentator and theologian said, you can understand the whole Bible by God, the people, and the land. The entire Bible is about God, the people, and the land. So it's a powerful way if you want to look at the big picture of the Bible to look at it. The Bible teaches us about God. It teaches us out of all of humanity who are God's people and God wants to settle them in a land. And ultimately, you realize that you want to settle them in the promised land, but how does the book of Revelation end? With a new Jerusalem, a better Jerusalem than Jerusalem. So God has this reality for us. But for the tribe of Gad, the tribe of Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they don't actually want to be in what God has promised them. They just want to be close enough, and it suits them. Now, here's the deal. If you set the pace for your own life, then you are actually the God of your own life. Like, if everything about your life fits around what it is that you want, then really what you're saying is, is that I'm God. And God may be God, but I'm really the Lord of my own life. Isn't that when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, if you eat of this, you will be like what? You'll be like God. And ever since the first humans, Adam and Eve, ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all humans have a God complex. I want my life to be my way according to my parameters. But somebody who's put their faith and trust in Jesus says, you know what? I'm actually going to abandon my idea of my rights to my way, my life, my parameters, and I'm actually going to turn them over to the true and living God and say, God, I give you all my rights and I give you all my parameters. And Lord, what do you want to do in my life? What is your plan? And we bow our knees voluntarily to the Lord and we say, now you show us what life's supposed to be like. For us here in this generation in America, this goes completely against American cultural values. To bow your knee to a sovereign and give him complete control over your life. Now, praise God in our country, we're allowed to make that decision to follow Jesus. But I think a lot of us are like the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. We want to be close enough to be near the promised land but we don't quite have the gumption to step out in faith over the Jordan into what God has. And if that's you today, I want you to know you are not alone in being fearful, being concerned, not being eager to take a step of faith. Why? Because the problem with walking by faith is that you got to walk by faith. You know, like you got to take the step. And we don't like taking steps of faith. We like taking steps of sight. We like being like, okay, I know how this is going to work. And if I do this, I'm not really out on the limb and it's just going to work out. But God's kids decide to take the step. And it's funny, as I was, I mean, I prepared this message and praying about it today. It was so strong in my heart to just encourage people to take the step. Take that next step that God has for you. 
Don't be content to be close to the promised land. Close enough to be like, yeah, the promised land's right there. But no, God wants his kids in the promised land. And the problem for the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh is literally that they're in the land and they just conquered this land and they're like, this land suits my needs. It's a land for livestock and we have livestock. Now, you know what the problem with making a decision that suits my needs is? It does not take into account what God wants to do. All it takes into account is, this is my limited understanding of who I am and where I am and what I'm doing. And God's like, no, no, no. I got all sorts of other things for you. Like, it's good for you right now, but I see your entire life and there are things you don't even understand about yourself yet. And there's things that I want to do in your life that if you limit your decisions to what you understand about your life, it will never be, this is the life that God has. I mean, I look at my own life and I don't pat myself on the back. I had great, like my pastor and people came alongside, just take the step of faith. I would have been content just being a bass player. I'd have a blast touring, just playing the bass, playing the upright. I love playing the bass. It's super fun, you know? But God had a whole other world for me, a whole other thing that he wanted to do that I'm like, well, I'm a bass player, but I always want to be a bass player ever since I saw Nikki Six and Motley Crue. You know, I'm like, yeah, I want to be that guy, you know? You know, he had this big hair and he had football under eye makeup and he played this crazy bass. And I'm like, yeah, you know? And it's like, and I was very content to be a bass player. And what I realized is that God had given me the gift of music, but if I would have just played bass as a career, then I was on the east side of the promised land. God could have used it, but I wasn't stepping into what God had created me for. That I didn't even understand at that point. And finally, I took a step of faith, and all of a sudden, something opened up. I'm like, whoa, and then took another step of faith, took another step of faith. And I just want to encourage you to trust God and take the step of faith into the promised land. Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh were walking by sight. They saw land that was good for livestock. They had a lot of livestock. This looks like a good spot. Now, what they don't realize, of course, is that when trouble's going to come for the children of Israel, it's almost always going to come from the east, and they're always going to be the first one wiped out. See, they're short-sighted. They don't realize all that's going on. And again, That's our problem is that we have a limited scope, a limited set of understanding. So really what we have is this land on the east side, it was given as a gift by God. It was won by conquest, but it wasn't actually the inheritance that God wanted for them. Because we're going to find in the coming weeks when he gives them the border of the land that he's given them, it's going to be everything to the west of the Jordan River. So the land that he has given them by inheritance is actually the west side. But they want to be on the east side. But it's interesting. They go, they go to Moses, to Eliezer the priest, and the leaders of the congregation, they make their request. Like, look, all these cities, we want to live there. We don't want to go over the Jordan. Let us take this as our inheritance, as our possession. Now, look at how Moses responds. And Moses understands the dilemma, because look what he says in verse 6. He says, And Moses said to the children of Gad... And to the children of Reuben, shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? 
Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused that day, and he swore by an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they have wholly followed the Lord. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel, and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation had done evil and the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen up in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once again leave them in the wilderness and you will destroy all these people. Now, Moses responds in anger. This is what you could call a flashpoint for Moses, right? They're on the precipice of the promised land. And don't miss the fact that Moses isn't allowed to go into the promised land either. So like, this is a gift that even Moses isn't allowed to partake of. And he gets upset. He says, shall your brethren go to war while you just sit here? Now, you realize that Moses is ascribing motive, in a sense, to Reuben and Gad. And by the end of the chapter, we're going to find also to the half-tribe of Manasseh. He's ascribing motive. He's saying, look, you guys don't want to go to war with your brother. You want to sit here. Now, we don't know for sure if that was their motive or not, right? And we're going to find as they respond to Moses, they're like, no, 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 Mose, or says, or whatever their nickname was for him, you know? They're like, no, that's not where we're coming from. But we don't know. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to motive, I want to encourage you, always ask, don't assume. Always ask, don't assume. Why? Because you don't know what's in someone else's heart. And I don't know what's in someone else's heart. I mean, let's be honest. We don't even know what's in our own hearts, right? Our Bibles tell us that our hearts are deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? And it says, well, the Lord knows it. He searches the heart. And he, so I don't even know what's in my own heart. You don't know what's in your heart. And we definitely don't know what's in someone else's heart. So instead of assuming their motive, we should ask. And you kind of see that in Moses because he right away assumes a malicious motive in their life. And so I want to encourage you, don't assume somebody's motive. Ask them what their motive is. If somebody is doing something and you don't understand it, or you think that they're automatically, they have some nefarious plan, you should just ask them. And if you, for those of you who are married, you're going to thank me for this. Because when you're married and you're living in close quarters with a, another person, what you find is that it's very easy, especially if there's water under that bridge, you could assume all sorts of things. You have all this history of, oh, this is how you are and all that stuff. But oftentimes we assume people's motives wrong. Why? Because we're always looking for the worst in people and we're always assuming the best about ourselves. That's what we do. That's the human condition. Can I get a, a sorry amen? Yeah. 
So, I mean, that's what I love about the Bible. The Bible reminds you that we have a tendency to always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt and always assume that everybody is the worst possible version of themselves. So don't assume you understand someone's motive. Just ask. Because if you ask somebody what their motivations are, you know what's amazing is they'll tell you if their motives are lousy and they're own that, they'll apologize for it, which is a really good thing. And if their motives aren't nefarious, I'm like, no, this is what I was trying to do. You're like, oh, oh, that makes some more sense. And we all make the Moses mistake here of assuming we understand what's in someone's heart, but we don't know. We really don't know. God knows. Even the person doesn't really know. So we should ask. Now, notice Moses' concern in verse 7. Now, why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? What we learn here is that complacency is contagious. Complacency is contagious. And so he's saying, look, because you don't want to go over the Jordan and you want to settle on the east side and you're going to discourage, your complacency is going to now make everybody else complacent. You're just going to discourage. And listen, you realize that like, each one of us is reproducing ourselves spiritually in the people around us. I told you this. My pastor, used to, he said it to me before I left to go plant the church in New Jersey. He said, Daniel, I have one thing you need to realize. You're going to reproduce yourself spiritually in the life of the congregation you pastor. Don't mess that up. I was like, well, that's really, ex- thank you, pastor. I'll take my leave now, you know. But guess what? That's a universal truth for all of us. You are reproducing yourself spiritually in the lives of the people who are around you. In the sphere of influence, in your family, in the midst of your friends, the people on the job. If you are complacent, they will become complacent. If you are passionate, they will become passionate. Our lives are contagious. Now you got to ask yourself, what disease are you giving off? Is your life and lifestyle promoting a spiritual complacency? Or is it promoting a spiritual fervency? See, Moses' concern is that they are right about to go into the promised land and the complacency of Gad and Reuben and, as we find by the end of the chapter, the half-tribe of Manasseh is going to be in there as well, that it's going to become a cancer in the life of the children of Israel. And Moses is so concerned about that that he actually reminds them why all their parents died in the wilderness. He rehearses their history. Look what it says in verse 8. Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up to the valley of Eskol and saw the land, verse 9, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. Remember, that was in Numbers chapter 13 and 14. Remember? 38 years earlier, Moses was there with the men who were the elders or the leaders of the clans. He said, listen, we're going to send 12 spies into the promised land. And they're going to spy out the land and they're going to come back and they're going to bring me a report. They went on back. They brought back some of the fruit of the trees and the grapes were so big it took two guys and a pole. I mean, talk about like elephantitis of the fruit. It was like huge grape. It was before Miracle Grow and all sorts of evil plant steroids and stuff, but it's like a big fruit. And they came on back. You remember what happened? Out of the 12 spies, 10 of them said, listen, it's a good land, but we're going to get crushed in there. The cities are huge. We are too small. We can't do it. And two men, Caleb and Joshua said, no, 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 listen, it is a good land. And yes, there are big cities, but the Lord is with us. Jesus is real. 
As the Israelites finally approached the Promised Land, some of the tribes decided to stay just outside the border. Pastor Daniel today shared how this decision resembles our staying in a place of comfort, though God has better things waiting across the river. Jesus is Real Radio is the radio ministry of Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. The messages that you hear each day here on Jesus is Real Radio were produced from messages that Pastor Daniel shared on Sunday mornings and the midweek study. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. One of the things that I'm the most stoked about is that this year we launched a brand new campus in Southwest Portland. We would love to invite everyone to come and join Crossroads Southwest Portland on Sundays at 10 a.m. We're growing, and honestly, not just in Southwest Portland, but all over the country and the world as people join us at our online campus, 9, 11, and 1 p.m. or Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. on our online campus, crossroadslive.tv. Now here's Josh with what's coming up on our next edition of Jesus is Real Radio. Next time on Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will discuss the true meaning of fellowship. This term doesn't simply mean to sit and chat with each other. As the Israelites will demonstrate, fellowship involves sharing a burden in love. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through his series entitled Preparation. Until then, may God bless. Preparation.